3: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Arrival Online, insights that matter in challenging times for operators of tours, activities, attractions, events, and experiences, all of the things that travelers do uh, when they get there. I'm Douglas Quinby, co-founder and CEO of Arrival, and really excited to have with us today leaders from four reservation technology Ah, uh, companies. Uh, so we have Maria, and Maria, forgive me. I hope I'm going to pronounce this correctly. Ivalioti. Is that how close am I?
4: You are so close, Maria Ivalioti.
3: Okay. I- okay. <laughs> so, so Maria, welcome. The COO of Travelatapos uh, from Athens. Uh, we have Hjalti Balderson, the CEO uh, of Boken uh, from Iceland. Uh, Scott Zimmerman, the CEO of Zola, and Corey Fawcett, the CEO from Zowie Software. I think, Corey, you're in Canada and Vancouver uh, or nearby. And Scott, are you in San Francisco in the Bay Area? Correct. Correct. Fantastic. So we have a lot to talk about on kind of the role of ResTech in the current situation that we're going through uh, and what is going to be the future of the ResTech landscape. What should operators and also distributors know how is this landscape going to change? What does this mean for all of you? You know what are you seeing? Like what's happening? And are are you seeing any you know any indicators, any signals? Are there places where bookings are happening? Are you seeing people you know searching? What you know kind of what do you see across your the you know the systems that you're you're looking at and your clients? What's what's happening? So, um, Kalti, I'll, I'll start with you. I see you nodding your head a little bit.
1: Yeah, um, we're in a pretty unique position because we are. We're a we're a global software, so we have we have customers in almost every every country. And uh, uh, I looked at this, you know, the data this morning, and I'm simply not seeing an uplift in any country mm-hmm. out of the 180 countries or something like that. Because I was I was primarily looking for Asia because we have seen positive signs from Asia in terms of air traffic and and other general positive news, but. Right now, it has not translated into bookings, as far as I can see. Mm.
3: Uh, Maria, w- what about you? You seeing uh, what has the has the impact on your business been total? Are you seeing any any bookings or any positive signals?
4: We have received plenty of cancellations, and for about <laughs> two or three weeks, uh, <laughs> we have a complete freeze of reservations. But mm. uh, what I see, I see. Um, more and more travelers trying to change to reschedule their reservations, so I think this is an indicator that uh, travelers that people want to travel they don 't want to cancel, so they have in mind that they're going to travel again so in my opinion it 's really hard to make predictions right now because we don 't even know when the airports are going to open. Uh, what we have to do is to stay calm and from I guess from the end of May, begin of June, we are going to see the tendency. Then we can measure what is going to happen uh, to uh, in the upcoming season for 2020.
3: Uh, but I, for, I, the reschedulings, for the reschedulings that you're seeing, is thats is that Q3? Is it Q4? Or are you seeing people rebook for 2021? What's the, the window you're seeing there?
4: Most of them are for uh, September and October. Uh, These uh, are the indicators I have right now, Uh, less in 2021. But I see rescheduling. I see that. So I think this is something uh, that has to... uh, I'm optimistic and I'm convinced that people will travel again, will not stop traveling. Maybe they're going to change their behavior, their expectations will be different from, uh, from us and from the operators. Uh, but I'm positive and confident that uh, they're going to travel again.
3: So that's a really huge topic on how is this going to be different once we, we come out of this, and I definitely want to spend some time and come back to that in, in just a moment. But So, Corey, just you know, from your side, you know, what are you seeing among, among Zowie customers?
0: It, mostly the same thing. Uh, largely most of our customers have uh, closed their doors, uh, laid staff off, uh, seasonal staff. They've gone into almost um, hibernation, uh, stasis mode. Um, we What we see on our platform is um, we see a bit of trickling reservations come through on the transportation side off in the future. Again, like Marie is saying, September, October, November, but we would anticipate those would be pushed off or postponed as we go deeper into the summer. Um, in terms of interaction on our platform, we're still seeing about 50% of our customer base still interacting with the platform, which kind of indicates potentially that they're using this time to uh, work on their businesses, work on products. Uh, We're seeing some initial steps on pivot moves. So those companies who have uh, transportation fleets, for example, bus fleets, sightseeing tour fleets, they're attempting to repurpose a lot of those vehicles, whether it's patient transport. And in some cases, which I just learned uh, this past week, some are getting into food delivery now. Mm. Yeah, there's
3: been some interesting models. What about virtual virtual tours? Uh, that's also something that people are talking about. Are you seeing, and I just opened this up to everyone, are any of your customers creating virtual tours and are
0: you facilitating bookings for those? I'll jump in there. Um, we have seen some. Uh, one that came to light this week was uh, virtualized wine tours, which was kind of interesting. Ship the wine to you first, jump online, do the wine tasting mm-hmm. learn. I personally haven't seen anything quite move the needle in terms of online reservations or forward bookings for any of those yet. I think it's a little bit too early, but I, I'm encouraged with the creativity that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the environment's created for a lot of our customers.
3: And Scott, what about for you at uh, Absola
2: Yeah. Um, we've really, I've really been impressed at the creativity. Uh, you know, a lot of folks are breaking the mold and really putting their minds to work uh, during this time, it, which is also very stressful, but like, for example, um, there are a couple on virtual tours, we have had one escape room do a virtual puzzle uh, so that you'll actually book it, they'll mail you the materials, and then you can solve a puzzle there at home. Um, that's really interesting. Uh, another provider um, has built a software to a mobile application to actually manage virtual tours, to record it, document it. And it's actually quite a, mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit of functionality. He was working on it before COVID-19. And so it was really just coincidental because there's a lot more functionality that can just be made as a pop-up tent. So we're actually going to be hosting him uh, this Friday in a webinar to share that. Um, and uh, yeah, and we're seeing sort of virtual wine tours pop up as well. Um, but yeah, but nothing, nothing really is. Uh, you know, it's hard to kickstart that. You know.
3: Yeah, you know, I just I, on the virtual tour front, I've kind of posed this question too on social. So I, I just. What I where I struggle with is you know given the the effort that the the time that it takes to create it the energy and the part of operators and the cost involved you know I'm str- struggle with the idea of well you know I'm going to pay fifteen dollars for a virtual you know tour of the Coliseum um, when I I just paid my fourteen dollar uh, monthly subscription net- Netflix <laughs> which I've got you know unlimited so I'm I'm trying to kind of fi- figure out is there is there really, you know, is this a meaningful, you know, business opportunity at all? Or is this simply something for operators to, you know, to, to pass the time with and maybe just to engage with a few of their most committed customers?
2: Yeah, it's it's hard to know the jury's out. And and I'm certainly interested in that. I'd love to see, the, you know, tune into that webinar that you've got uh, coming up uh, on virtual tours as well.
3: Yeah, maybe I'll just do, I, I've done this on a couple of my online events, and, but so just Just very quickly, just a, you know, a quick, uh, you know, a lightning round question. I'll just go for each of you with, uh, you know, with a yes or no. So would you recommend, you know, your customers, you know, go all in and and produce uh, virtual tours? Corey, would you, what would you say? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. Kalti, what about you?
1: Uh, If you would take out the, you know, go all in, uh, I would, I would say yes, but, you know, don't, place all your bets on, on on one product that is untested. Hmm.
3: Maria, what about you?
4: I'm not sure. I think it depends on the activity, on the type of the activity. If it's an attraction, yes, this could be very good to do it. If you have a sailing company, I don't know, maybe you could use a virtual tour just to give a taste of what it would be if you do it... By yourself and be there and have all the experience, the experience all the way. So I think it depends on the type of the activity.
3: And Scott, that sounds like you're you're being more on the yes side.
2: Yeah, I'd say I'd say brainstorm with it. Definitely worth uh, the brainstorm and experiment. Even try it, test it, go all in. Uh, no, I think it's worth the experimentation. So.
3: So um, I want to talk a bit about the role. What's the role for ResTech, you know, in a situation uh, that we're we're in? How how can ResTech companies support the operator uh, community? I mean, we're really, you know, we're in a, a pretty profound, a profound state of uncertainty right now. There have been different calls from... From operators, they want to see uh, online travel agencies, uh, say, reduce uh, commission or maybe even defer uh, commission payments, for example. What are things, what are you doing to support your operator community uh, today? Uh, Marie, I'll start with you.
4: The first thing we did is to um, have a team of experts uh, that come from the travel industry and to uh, consult our operators for the current and for uh, the next day after the pandemic. So uh, we have uh, created a team that uh, assists our operators uh, on their strategy and on their reopening plan. This is the first thing we did. Uh, secondly, what we did is to, uh, analyze more data to study, um, what happened in similar situation, uh, in the past, uh, this is the first thing we did. And then but can I, can I
3: just ask, has that really been helpful? I mean, you know, uh, you know, if I think about like a, the closest similar situation would be something like, like SARS, for example, 15 years ago or, or almost 20 years ago, but even in that situation, like SARS, I think in total nine hundred people died. Whereas we're seeing, you know, in the United States alone, nine hundred people died yesterday, right? So, is that really a like? I, 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 I think we've all look at this, but then we look at the historical. <laughs> there is no historical precedent. Like, how do we? How, yeah, where do we start?
4: But maybe we could think of nine eleven. When the airports uh, shut down, and when we were all saying that uh, nobody is going to travel again, and we saw that uh, people travel more, uh, so it's not just you don't have to go only uh, you know find similar situation. Let's say that it was like a pandemic, but I think nine eleven could be something uh, that we can earn from. We can see the data from this past situation, this past incident, and we can. Uh, kind of predict what is going to happen. Um, So uh, we have a strategy plan. We have a team from uh, experts that help our operators or assist our operators for the reopening plan. Uh, We help them review their cancellation policies. Uh, We work with gift vouchers, of course. This is a hot topic right now. Mm-hmm. And sure. uh, we examine um, uh, the visual tools and how this could be uh, an option now uh, for our operators. So we try to evaluate uh, any critical situation. In a, we are in a constant uh, evaluation.
3: So yeah, certainly, like consulting and evaluation is hugely important. But I. Well, so, I mean, Kalti, let me kind of throw this to you. I think, you know, one of the things that I, I was, thought was quite interesting, uh, so the team at GlobalTix this week announced that they were giving their software away for free uh, for the rest of the year and they weren't going to charge their current customers. Uh, you know, what about, you know, what about other tech Can other tech companies follow suit? Is that something that, um, that you guys are looking at?
1: Well, first of all, um, when we get no bookings, token is free. <laughs> um, because we charge for the booking. So it would be, I think it's, uh, it's an interesting perspective to come out and say, you know, uh, we'll not get any money anyway. So let's just make it free. Um, but I, we're, we're open to, to, uh, to all these kinds of, all kinds of, uh, ways moving forward. I think we need to see a little bit how this develops. I mean, we're, we're, we're just in the storm right now. So what is happening right now is that um, you know, many countries are getting sort of not past the curve, but you know, starting to talk about how do we move out of this. And immediately, the first thing that doctors say uh, in quite many countries is like, "Hey, okay, let's just move to the new normal. In the new normal, there's no travel. Please do not. You know, we advise against travel. So, what does that mean for us? So, if we think about this a little bit more holistically, um. Uh, what are our, our, you know, suppliers thinking about? They're not thinking about this. I mean, I was speaking about, uh, I was speaking to uh, a few large suppliers last week, uh, and one probably the one of the best op- best operators I know, uh, best operated company I know. They were thinking about should we hibernate for one year or two years, because we don't know what will happen next year. Will the rebound be ten percent? 20%, 50%, 70% certainly is not going to go back to 2019 levels. And if you're operating your business based on data and you want to make a plan and you want to be profitable, then it's just not a very interesting environment to be in. So this is sort of, you know, what our, our suppliers are thinking about right now. Of course, they're thinking about more tactical things uh, uh, as well. And we we are are we are we're, we're helping them out with that, you know, trying to optimize their products and and, you know, uh, some of the suppliers are engaged. We have like 500 people, um, registering for a, for a webinar on websites last week. So it's not like, you know, it's all doomsday, but in reality, the CEOs are thinking about, you know, their cost. How do they survive this? That is number one, two, three and four. Um, in all of my discussions with them, it's not on, you know, how do I go in and, and, and get that domestic travel that will be here in three weeks. Hmm. And I'm not saying that that is the right strategy. You know, I'm just saying I'm echoing what I hear from the suppliers that I speak to. Uh,
3: Corey, I mean, what, what are you doing to help operators? What's the role of ResTech in that situation like we're, we're facing today?
0: Yeah, I think we've been trying to break that down into kind of short, medium, and long term. And the long term, obviously, is changing and evolving. We started reaching out to all of our key suppliers, uh, operators, partners in the industry, Um, even our competition, uh, end of February, well into March, um, mostly just checking in to see what's happening, what are they seeing, uh, does that align with what we're seeing um, throughout the industry. Uh, We helped announcing uh, any government programs that we could see on the horizon, uh, would help uh, shore up. Uh, any revenue that they had within their companies for the suppliers. I mean, listen, it's a community effort the whole way through. Their success is our success. Um, And, uh, you know, everyone that's on this panel here is in the same boat, essentially. So it's it's a challenge all the way through. Um, Going back to kind of what you're mentioning before, some of the things I'm drawing on is is kind of leadership roles in terms of passing that information on to our partners. Um, You know, I look back and there's some You know, some similarities to the dot-com that I remember, 9-11 comes to mind, SARS, since we had that in Vancouver and Toronto here. And SARS in Vancouver here, um, not many people remember that because it was so small, but it actually cratered the industry for a year, to year and a half here with the hoteliers. And a lot of our customers in those areas rely uh, heavily on hotels, concierge staff, et cetera, for bookings and advanced bookings. Um, so passing on as much information as you possibly can to disseminate that and learn from that um, is kind of the short, medium term. Long term will be, you know, how do you actually rebound from this? This feels like a market compression to me and how far it's going to compress. We don't really know and how elastic your companies are on the other end are going to guarantee uh, the rebound that you're going to have. Uh, as also pointed out is for us um, you know it 's about cash flow, essentially cash flow and burn rates and really controlling that, and that should be a message for all the suppliers in the industry also is to monitor that heavily, understand it, but be positioned for a rebound when the rebound actually comes and watch for market signals for when that actually happens
3: so uh, so Scott Maria brought up the question of uh, you know vouchers and I think gift cards it 's also been a pretty hotly discussed topic is that is it, do you see that as something that operators uh, should be should be pursuing? Is that something? Is that an area where ResTech companies can can help operators?
2: Uh, absolutely. I think you know, speaking to what Corey just mentioned, cash flow is a big piece of this. That's what everyone's grappling with. Um, I, you know, we have functionality around store credit uh, and gifts. With store credit, it's a way to keep that that revenue in the business. Uh, and it's sort of open to be redeemed at a later point in time, we very much encouraged providers to take advantage of that functionality. And we see many people do that really um, with great success. I think there are exceptions in terms of how, uh, you know, if there's international arrivals and travel, there's cancellation full refund that has less utility. There's a lot of domestic consumption of tours. And so uh, there's a good portion of our bookings that really we see uh, folks uh, using store credit um, when it starts to get uh, immediate sort of in sort of, of all of our outstanding bookings that we see across the platform. Um, about 50% of them are within the next two months, um, so that that is really the most vulnerable uh, sort of subset of of bookings to manage, whether it's cancellation, full refund, store credits, or uh, rescheduling. And we really have seen far less activity uh, touching anything beyond two months. It's really been in the month in front of us. And so it may continue to be a rolling, um, a rolling process. Uh, but I think folks are beginning to see uh, Europe uh, easing uh, or speaking about easing, you know, containment measures. And I think folks are hopeful uh, that the US will soon follow. No one has a crystal ball on that. But I think that Um, really, it's been the most immediate bookings, the four to six weeks in front of us that we've seen the most activity. And then I think there's a watch and wait for the rest of the bookings.
3: So just, you know, on the issue of kind of vouchers, restore credit, though, you know, what happens in the case where the operator, there's a possibility, you know, they may not be around in, uh, you know, in in six months. Uh, So who, you know, what happens uh, at that point? Who, you know, who uh, it's kind of like adding basically more liability to the books for the operator or in the case of, um, you know, in the case where the reservation system, their payment model where they are really the, the merchant of record, say, with Stripe or another payment provider. Is there a risk of liability that would then fall on the, the reservation system as well?
2: Yeah, I think that you know any uh, deferred income or outstanding you know payment for services not yet rendered is an outstanding liability in any way, shape, or form, as you point out. And so there is in that liability chain uh, through the entire ecosystem, right? From the uh, the customer, then the tour operator, uh, the payment processor, um, and then later you know the very foundation, whether it's First Data, Wells Fargo, or whoever else is in the in the payments chain. Um, I think what we've seen is. You know, we see a lot of operators uh, take swift uh, action to, uh, as Corey mentioned, furlough staff or lay people off, go into hibernation mode and really limit. A lot of them haven't really hired out and expanded their staffing requirements that you see in the seasonal businesses so they really haven't accumulated the burn uh, yet. And so they're sort of like in hibernation mode to where, you know, a lot of folks are certainly stressed financially, but they've got a plan to get through it. And I think that if the containment measures last until, say, early May and start to ease, um, you know, that's a more promising sign. I think a lot of business, if there's containment measure that goes on for four months, then I think a lot of businesses outside of travel and travel are going to be in, tr- in trouble. So, so what about lower- so lower, that'll be earlier? You know, there's
3: been a lot of discussion in, in you know you know, among our industry and certainly in our online events on you know, the future of the operator community. So, uh, so what about, you know, what about the future of, you know, of of ResTech? Uh, So there's, you know, by, by our count, there's upwards of 150 of you guys, you know, out there of ResTech companies. Um, A lot of them are kind of small, uh, kind of homegrown or kind of family run operations, but you have many that have raised, uh, raised a lot of venture capital, you know, a lot of them with kind of payment models that like in the case of you know like Kelty said where you only get revenue when there are there are bookings so i would imagine that there's a lot of stress that's on the restech community as uh, as well Kelty, what's your kind of view on the the future of this landscape are there going to be a lot fewer than 150 uh restech companies when we come out of this
1: i would think about it a little bit differently of course okay. you know the same principles apply to us as other businesses we need to pivot we need to be nimble and agile and we need to go essentially essentially where the where their business is I think we have to also think about that there has been a lot of consolidation in the past two years uh, as an example um, for for channel management uh, Boken has around 72 percent of the connected products on on Viator and TripAdvisor so quite a lot of the products that are connected and are online already on Boken and I think this is um something that happens in most industries there will be a couple of how should I put it general larger players and then you will have uh a lot of smaller players that go for niches and uh and and specialize in something. And there's a need for that. And we see that in most industries. And I think this will happen. Uh, and I hope it will happen. And I don't think there will be fewer players servicing our industry. I think there will be more because it's a very interesting right. and rising industry that is really only taking the first steps. I mean, it's a fairly new industry. It's not like the hotel industry. And it's much more diversified than... And uh, in many ways, interesting, uh, in my opinion. So what I think will essentially happen is that we'll have a few maybe larger ones and then a lot of, a lot of smaller ones that, um, that will uh, accommodate the needs of the supplier. And by the way, I think you know um, many of these software companies will need to downsize. That's clear. Just like any other companies in the world, they need to downsize. But I still very well remember... Um, how powerful, for example, Boken was when we were only 10. And we could do a lot of things that nobody else had done um, before us. Um, so it, you don't really need to be you know, a thousand people per, or a thousand person company to be innovative and disrupt the industry. So I think as long as there is growth in our industry, it's interesting and it is there is probably going to be growth. And I think we'll see a lot of development and new companies coming into the industry in the next two, three years because I think the companies, the suppliers are more open now to uh, innovation than they maybe were um, a few months ago. And we saw this quite well after, you know, the ash cloud in Iceland and drop in tourism there. Exactly the same, or maybe not exactly the same, but um, the same principles that, you know, uh, you can really innovate and do do new things in an environment like this. Uh,
3: Maria, so you, you know, representing, I think one of the smaller companies, if I, if I recall, you had, I think fewer than 15 uh, employees the last time uh, that we spoke. How do you, do you agree with, you know, with, with How do you feel about your position in, uh, in the market, given everything that's going on?
4: Um, Well, uh I agree with, yes, you can be innovative with uh, less than thousand of people. That's that's for sure. Um, and uh, you may have quality in your services, even if your team is smaller than the other teams. Uh, so when an operator decides which uh, booking engine or reservation software he's uh, going to uh, choose, he's going to examine the uh, support, for, for example, the quality of the support. Uh, because. I think the features and the systems are kind of the same. We are similar, so uh, the agreement, the contract, who collects your money, the payment fees, is uh, one of the uh, core uh, things someone is going to examine when deciding uh, which uh, system to uh, to choose. Um, we uh, have a great team. We are innovative. We have uh, four different booking systems for each sector. Uh, and I think we cope really well. And we are very uh, healthy in terms of uh, financing.
3: So uh, there are a number of questions that I, I do want to get to some of our attendee questions. And there's one kind of broad theme I'm seeing among some of the questions around kind of the future. Like, what's, how is this going to change the tech landscape from a feature and functionality standpoint? What are some of the things that, uh, that you're thinking about? The question at the top really has to do with API uh, connectivity. And this, I think this, uh, this is from Dominique specifically asking about connectivity. It looks like a cross-res system so that operators can cross-sell uh, one another. I think when I think of connectivity, I, I typically think of it as you know, a res system to an onward distributor, like an online travel agency or, um, or another, uh, you know, another distribution, uh, distribution channel. But this is actually an interesting idea. My sense has been res tech companies are kind of, they're, they're competitive. So they're not going to connect, <laughs> they're not going to connect with one another, uh, unless they're clearly not competitive in some way. But, uh, I mean, so, you know, Corey, what's, you know, what's your your view on on connectivity in a post you know COVID landscape? Is this going to increase? And you know, would you build a, a connection to a you know a direct competitor of yours so that one of your customers could could cross sell another operator's product without having to go through
0: an OTA? Yeah, for sure. So um, uh, it's probably no secret I'm a huge advocate of that. Uh, we started about three or four years ago doing just that in the industry. Um, building into competitor systems, but also mostly driven by the demands of our customers in geographic locations. So for example, in New York, um, if we're selling sightseeing tours, it's often that that same supplier is also selling, um, you know, tickets to the uh, sightseeing tours that they have partnerships with, for example, right? So in a post-COVID world, I'm a huge advocate that the first thing that's going to come back is local and domestic tourism. Um, I think if I was living in Paris, for example, it would be awesome if I could actually go to the Louvre and not be surrounded by 100 other thousand people. Um, That would be an experience that I would love to enjoy. Same thing in Rome. So the ability to have API connections across platforms, I think, is here already. It's just not as prevalent. It could be one of the driving forces that come out of post-COVID. The second part, just to go back to your your question with Maria, is some of the things that we're seeing as opportunities to build onto the platform is virtualization, um, introduction of any of that type of stuff. So we're seeing a lot of our suppliers and customers now learn how to work remotely and what type of tools are they going to need to do that? Um, There's a huge opportunity for remote res staff, res agents. I think there's an opportunity there. There's going to be tools that come out of that. I think uh, the other big challenge that, we see right now is uh, this, the coming uh, part of the seams is cancellations, refunds, um, and the massive volume that we've seen across our platforms as a result of that. There's new tools, there's new innovation that has to be done there. And I think also the ability to put back in the hands of the consumer, the power to um, make changes easily to their reservations, whether it's cancellations or moving those reservations off into the future. It's not something that you see in tours and activities, It's something that we see in airlines, hotels, and transportation. That's uh, table stakes type material. I think it's a change that could come to this industry. Um, So those are opportunities that I see across the board. It's not all doomsday, I don't think, on our end. Uh, I think there's lots of innovation that's going to come. I would introduce AI chatbots into there too. Uh,
3: So, Scott, there's a question here. It's directed to you uh, from Matthias around uh, your partnership with google i presume this is referring to reserve uh reserve with google Uh, what's your uh so uh what's your what's your view on kind of you know reserve with uh, uh reserve with google this is this is good for the industry this is good for operators
2: um yeah you know i i think that the the partnership with google is uh is terrific i think that a lot of folks it's 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 Probably uh, it's it's great for providers. I think it's great for consumers and the the booking workflows. I think it can be damaging to folks that stand in the in the middle or uh, in between in that chain. Obviously, one of the things that 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 integration does provide is a more direct path uh, between the operator and the the traveler. And so, anyone who sits between you know between those two parties in the supply chain is going to possibly be. Um, you know, encroached upon uh, in that, but I think ultimately it's a it's a great experience for the consumer, and I think um, every provider we've talked to loves it. So um, I think it's healthy, and I, I also think that the way Google has approached uh, integration is fundamentally different than other partners in distribution ecosystem. Just how that the mechanics of that integration really does permit things like dynamic pricing, uh, like uh, yield management, or any sort of um, Algorithm that might sit on the supply side uh, as it translates directly to how that reservation might work to the consumer, whereas other integrations really rely on like uh, mapping uh, different structures and pricing structures and otherwise and it it can be encumbering in that way that doesn't permit that what I think is a very valuable evolution in booking technology and in this space that really you know more smarter yield management automation and dynamic pricing need to come to the fore and I think that that the way that integration, even the mechanics of it, would permit that to happen.
3: You know, I know that though there are a lot of uh, well folks on the OTA side who I think are a little bit nervous about uh, about what you know Google is is doing, is mm-hmm. a Google stepping into that intermediary side. So, I mean, Halti, what's your view on this? You know, the CEO of TripAdvisor has been, uh, you know, he's been fairly outspoken on. Uh, The risk that Google poses to, I mean, not just to tours and activities, but uh, online travel agencies, you know, kind of broadly and the power they have in their marketplace. At the same time, I know that TripAdvisor is a uh, TripAdvisor experiences and has been a partner for uh, for Reserve with Google. So it's kind of like you guys are, you know, you're you're kind of sitting on
1: both sides of the fence there. What's your (laughs) what's your take? First of all, I'm I'm a great fan of Google. I think they they took a uh, very wise strategy. They have executed very well. They basically own the internet. You start your search with Google, and uh, um, they have done a tremendous job. They are they're helpful for our industry in terms of you know uh, our suppliers can be found on Google. They are of course not a charity. So they're not here to, um, you know, take their, take their money and hand out to others. They will want a bigger part of the pie. And that is simple, simply the reality. And if the others don't want them to take over, they need to fight back a little bit and be more clever than them, which is not easy because these are bloody clever people, you know, and I'm a big fan.
3: Oh, that was, I was definitely a complimentary answer. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I certainly, you know, I've certainly heard from plenty of, you know, plenty of people from our industry who are pretty concerned about, you know, about their, their plans there. Anyone, you know, want to chime in with a different, you know, different point of view? I mean, what should operators, I mean, Maria, do you have a perspective on this? Like if I'm, I mean, I see it now, like in the sense, okay, if I can get a booking through Google and right now Reserve isn't charging a fee to the operator, that's, you know, that's great. But that's not always going to be the case, especially as Reserve grows and you have another big player that can can begin to really control the market. I mean, what are you, are you guys looking at working with reserve with Google and what's your, and what's your advice to operators there?
4: Definitely. We're looking to work with Google. Definitely. I think uh, they are going to be one of the greatest players uh, in our sector. And I think like, uh, I totally agree with Scott. Uh, uh, Google opens up the way uh, to yielding something that we do not do in our sector. So uh, Every uh, big player comes in uh, and makes us uh, better uh, and to optimize our features and our sector and our businesses. So uh, I'm very um, positive on working with Google and on having more um, resellers and OTAs. Uh, Since we're more on the operator side, I think this is good. I would like, on top think, of that, uh, yeah. Can I add something? Sorry, go
2: ahead. Yeah. Yeah, please, go uh, ahead.
4: Features, about the features, we also need more automation in Channel Manager. Um, Channel Manager should be uh, more uh, automated. We are only on uh, availability and pricing. We need more. We need more features. Uh, so um, every player comes in makes
3: us even better. Is there So, you know, Corey made a, a really interesting point about, uh, you know, some of the, the innovation that this situation is imposing on us. So, Marie, is there a feature or there's how are you changing your product roadmap as a result of what you're experiencing today uh, or what you expect will be different in the future? Are you building something new or different that you weren't planning on even a month or two months ago?
4: This is for me or Corey?
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, for you, Maria. Yeah, just a quick follow up.
4: Oh, okay. Um, yes, we're optimizing many features. Uh, we now are uh, um, working on yielding, on pricing, uh, and uh, on uh, our channel manager. We try to enrich our APIs and automation and that. So, uh, and we have started to do so two months ago. Um,
3: Okay. And Hjalti, what about, what about for you? Is this, how will, because there's a couple of questions around this from our attendees. So I just like, what is, how is this situation that we're in? Are you developing something now that you weren't, you would never really occurred to to your team to develop before?
1: Um, we are doing, we're changing our roadmap a little bit or, or should I say expediting some other things and delaying other things. Uh, I think what is likely to happen now is that there will be more collaboration in the space. You simply have not much to lose. And we saw this you know, uh, in the app building uh, or the rebound of the Icelandic tourism industry a few years back that uh, competitors started working together. So we created this spoken marketplace where a supplier could cross sell another supplier, bundle your products together, And uh, which, you know, competitors didn't want to do before, but then they started experimenting with it. And I think in 2017, if I remember correctly, uh, 15% of all products sold were combo products. So this would have been uh, impossible a few years before, simply because of the political landscape. And I think the same might be happening now. So basically, we have taken a few steps in our industry, which is that Okay, as We have um, a few larger players that need to and want to work with the others that maybe do not have the uh, same amount of products on their systems because nobody can do everything. We cannot, we cannot create everything for everybody. It's just not possible. So why not work with others and let others focus on their niches and, and try to, um, to work together? In the interest of the of the whole industry, that is at least our vision, and uh, I think the situation now will uh, only help that move move faster.
3: Sure. So, let me go through there a couple of questions from our attendees that I want to I want to tackle. So, uh, so Scott, I'll start with you. Uh, for companies that are basically in hibernation now, how do they? How should they think about? Uh, How should they think about kind of reopening? What are the different types of travel or trips? I know Corey, you talked a bit about kind of domestic, you believe strongly in that if I'm an operator, when do I, when do I restart and how, what should I be thinking about?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, in answering that question, I really am looking to some of our partners who specialize in, in marketing uh, as well as just any data that we might see. Um, and success stories that are shared by customers. There are a lot of experiments going on, a lot of failed experiments, but there are some successes out there. So um, a, couple, a couple points there. I think now is downtime. That's unprecedented. We might be going nuts at home, but it's also an opportunity to dig into the website that you know that you need to improve or improve your SEO or uh, get fresh photos up and sort of spruce things up in that category. What's your messaging? What's your strategy on marketing campaign once the um, once it does open up, uh, just being prepared in that regard, and there are a lot of partners that we can, uh, we're hosting webinars that that will speak to that. I think one uh, interesting idea that was even um, uh, recently brought to our attention, uh, a partner, Photoflow, and 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 um, uh, uh, a zipline company, um, basically, had partnered to share uh, digital photos of all of their guests um, uh, that had previously gone on outings. And the open rates were 83% and the click-throughs were, um, you know, 13%. So a lot of people are sitting at home right now looking at um, at content. Uh, you know, Google search is an all-time high right now. And so now is like maybe a time not to directly advertise to book a tour, but it might be an opportunity to really share um, rich content or through creative means to re-engage your audiences. There's a lot of local uh, consumption. Uh, a lot of repeat visitors. Now is the time to maybe sort of reengage with them in a less direct way. Um, these are just ideas that surface uh, that we see are are success, you know, successful by metrics that I just shared. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, that those would to be two broad categories: is get ready, uh, do the things you don't you never have time to do once the season is up and running, and then maybe look in the rearview mirror to surface really great content to sort of become top of mind to your customers.
3: There's there's an interesting question here from uh, from Abdul about uh, kind of the the just the the nature in which you know travel might might change in the future, especially around attractions, if we have to implement social distancing just as a matter of course, as travel is is eased. Maybe you know Corey, I know you work with a lot of ferry companies and transportation companies, so higher volumes in, (laughs) in, in compact spaces, or, uh, so if suddenly, you know, a a ferry or a bus operator, they have to abide by social distancing, is there a role for tech to play, uh, where you can kind of space people out, you're optimizing, you know, when people are coming, um, what's your, is that going to be a part of the, the necessary feature set for, for ResTech in the future?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to right now, you know, April 16th, it's hard to sit and adjust roadmaps immediately. It feels a little knee jerk reactionary, but I think that will develop in the next 30, 60 days, but just some insight there. What we've seen is, um, you know, we have busing companies who have pivoted as I mentioned a little bit into food uh, distribution, but also patient delivery and travel. And really the question there is um, mostly about their staff. How do they protect their staff? How do they make it safe for them? Essentially. You know, from a res tech platforms perspective, that sounds a little bit a little bit like yield management uh, balanced with inventory management in some cases, uh, you know, as they pivot their businesses. Um, but I think it's a little bit it's a little bit early to tell. I think it'd be great to have those types of conversations in 30, 60 days just to see what actually comes out of that.
3: Uh, anyone else have a perspective uh, on on this, like social distancing features? Is that something that you're looking at, Kelty? is that something that, you guys are you know are looking at it, Boken?
1: Okay? I think it's just obvious that there will be uh, requirements um, for social distancing, and what we're also seeing is that um, some of our customers have asked for um, uh, how did they put this? You know, on their websites that that they're what was the word um, social distancing friendly or something of that nature uh, already. Um, how this is going to play out from a tech perspective, uh, I, I just don't know, but I'm sure that there, the the new normal is, is much closer to, to some, you know, distancing than, than before. I just don't think people were very, um, or at least not people around me were very, uh much thinking about, you know, diseases and, uh, and how, how this spreads so fast. And I think now that's in our, in our head and probably will be for a long time. So, um,
3: yeah, I, I you know, I think about some of the most popular attractions and the lines that I've waited in <laughs> to get, to yeah. get into that what that's going to look like, uh, you know, in, uh, in the future. I mean, Marie, if we have to, uh, if, if uh, the Acropolis has to observe, uh, social distancing, you know, what is it going to look like for us, uh, uh to, Uh, to experience that? Is that something that you're thinking about at Travel Atopos?
4: Of course, we have informed and we have prepared our operators on implementing the social distancing and the technology can support that with the time slots and the availability. So definitely the next day won't be the same like the previous one. Uh, We have to be prepared and uh, now reservation systems and tunnel managers are uh, playing a great role on that. so,
3: yes, this is something we have prepared and informed our operators yeah well, so we're at we're just about at the top of the hour, so and I've got just a couple of quick questions I want to wrap up with uh so one uh so this is for you, Scott. There's actually several people who are asking for the link to your webinar on virtual tours on friday so if you could if you wouldn't mind just pulling that up in the next minute or so and putting that into public chat, I think that would be uh that would be great, or I'll say if um if you uh, if you can't do that in time then just I would say go to the Zola website and I'm sure if you search around you can you can uh, find something there um, we'll uh, there's a quick question I want to throw to you you know Halty. this actually came to me offline so we had an operator who asked a question uh, so I know you've got a booking policy where if there's a cancellation within a month then you don't uh, you you don't keep the cancellation with the booking fees uh, you you give that back to the operator, but she, this operator has had a lot of cancellations for bookings that were made well in advance of one month, and and she's not getting the booking fees back from Boken. and so you know she's a little frustrated about that. Like, so are, are you looking at amending your your policy for the, these COVID-related cancellations?
1: Yeah, I, I heard about this actually. This was brought to my knowledge this morning today. So, we have not had any concerns that have reached me anyways uh, from our customers before this, and we take all such you know concerns very, very seriously, and I find it very likely that we will simply amend our policies to accommodate exactly this
3: okay. um the so last question I just i want to bring this up before we wrap. I know we're we've gone a little bit over, but and we are recording this session and we'll make it available for those of you who have to go but you know it's it's interesting to me uh, you know the I think one of the hottest topics in our industry maybe 18 months ago was uh, was we had a couple of online travel agencies come in and acquire. So one, TripAdvisor obviously acquired Boken. Uh, Booking.com came in and acquired Fair Harbor. There's a smaller acquisition with uh, in Germany with Jochen Schweitzer and uh, Regiando, I think, uh, last year. Uh, so and that was a hugely debated topic. I think I see maybe one question in here towards the bottom, but it, does that even does that you know matter uh, anymore? Does anyone even care? Is there any impact? I mean, Scott, you know, what's your your take right now on kind of OTA owned reservation systems versus independent reservation systems today?
2: You know, I was looking for that link and I found it, uh, but I'll tune into the question <laughs> which you just asked. Uh, I guess I maintain, um, you know, I a diplomatic stance in the sense that I know that there, there are, uh, you know, questions of conflict of interest and what does that look like? I think it's good to be mindful that that is certainly a consideration. But I think that, um, you know uh, you know, we're all in the industry trying to provide the services that help small businesses and connectivity is important. And some businesses that uh, don't want it uh, can shut it off. I think when, when if you were to adopt a system where you don't have optionality to shut things off, um, that's when it becomes you know more encumbering to the business and I think more of a dangerous uh, road to go down. Um, I think that uh, we really serve... We, we build software to serve the business, right? Whatever the business needs and wants, we, we supply and once we start limiting what the business can and can't do, or how they do it, that's when it, I think that's when it becomes more of a consideration where you should be uh, cautious about your choices. Um, so and I'm, I can't so speak gonna, to what. Dip-
3: so I'm gonna. So I'm just gonna. Sorry, I, I'm gonna translate that in slightly less diplomatic language by saying the implication there is. A res system that may be owned by an OTA may, as a result, be influenced by that OTA and make decisions that are not necessarily in the best interest of of the operators would, would be the implication <laughs> Is what, uh, from your from your concern there. Corey, what about yeah, uh, I- what about you?
0: Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I would would echo echo the same thing. I think um, that's going to be a concern for any of our suppliers or customers is that uh, are we now aligned with one sole OTA entity? And what does that actually mean and deliver? Um, I think any acquisition, if that's to happen in the future, has to balance that and learn from the lessons that have happened from the ones in the past, for sure. I think during this time, there's probably just going back on the local tourism, domestic travel, And if this uh, crisis continues to go on for the next 9, 12, 18 months, I think the actual potential plays are a scenario that I can envision there is within the ResTech platforms themselves. Whether that means a scenario of interoperability between our systems so as to facilitate transactions within a local destination is one of them. I mean, look, at the end of the day, 150 ResTech platforms are all building the same features. You know, we probably don't need 150. Um, There's probably an execution play. I can imagine a number of scenarios there, depending on how long this goes on.
3: Uh, Maria, uh, what's what's your take on uh, OTA's owning RES systems? Good for the industry, not good?
4: I think that this is a discussion that doesn't care the operators. When operators uh, decide which reservation software they are going to use, they don't examine uh, which are the founders or who has acquired uh, the companies. Uh, however, um, so far the hotel industry uh, has indicated that uh, hoteliers trust independent booking uh, softwares and channel managers. So I think there's space for all of us. Uh, and uh, the acquisitions haven't affected us at all. We have a very good relationship with the, uh, with the OTAs. Uh, we have a very good and reliable channel manager uh, that is integrated with all major hotels now. So I think this is a discussion that uh, is interesting between us, our market, small market, and not um, for the operators. This is my opinion.
3: I don't think it. Don't think it hits their their day to day. Jolte, what's your? I'll, I'll give you the uh, the final word since you're. You know you're obviously one of the <laughs> the inquiries. So what's your what's your response? Uh,
1: if the question is, is it good for the industry or not? I can only uh, talk about what Booking and Tripadvisor did. So Tripadvisor had the strategy of bringing the industry online um, two years ago. They bought us, uh, and the result is that. Um, quite a lot of the industry has gone online ever since. And yes, it has happened through Boken. And as I said, we have around, what, 72% of all the products uh, on our system. But if somebody doubts that it's, you know, good for the industry, that, that it's, you know, that it's online, then um, yeah, I would have serious doubts about that myself. Uh, I think, I think uh, it's very, very good for the industry that it's online. And, Shape advisor has taken massive investments uh, into helping the industry with that.
3: So then the one so the one big concern then from an operator's perspective, well, I'm an operator and I use Boken. And now I'm also I have an OTA partner that has complete visibility into my data and my operations, and, and which really is almost uh, you know, is almost a kind of competitive uh, competitive risk. Uh, so what do you say to an operator that, that has those uh, has those concerns?
1: Well, I say um, we will not share your data with um, the account managers of TripAdvisor and Viator that you are talking to. So there, there's no, uh, no flow of information between there. And I get it. I mean, it is very sensitive information. I mean, think about it. There is, what, uh, 50,000 contracts done through the broken marketplace with commissions. of course, this is sensitive information. I get it uh, and it would be uh, it would be very hard to if you know for for a company uh, that is negotiating with an OTA their commissions if you know you know all the com- you know commissions to for everybody else. so um, we have said this publicly. we do not share this information uh, and uh, so far this has not been an issue for us it's more an issue for for the media um, and others who want to uh, talk about this, which, I, um, which I'm glad that you're doing, actually.
3: <laughs> well, that was, a, that was a, nice, uh, a nice save there at the end. I thought you were going to complain that we, were, we, we keep drumming, uh, beating the drum on this But it no, is. It is.
1: <laughs> every time this fear-mongering starts, we get a spike in signups. So uh, I don't know how it's <laughs> going to play out during this COVID series, but after COVID, please start again.
3: Okay. <laughs> right. Well, look, it's we're we're a little bit past the hour, so we've gone over. So, uh, so I want to thank all of our speakers, our presenters here today. Thank you all very much, and for the extra time. I've actually got another page of questions I haven't even gotten to. So we're going to have to continue this on.
1: Thanks for listening to the Tourpreneur Podcast. Be sure to visit tourpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Tourpreneur.